Hello and welcome to my Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins and this is a podcast about the dozens of ancient trails across Europe that constitute the Camino de Santiago or the Way of St. James. And I generally start with a quote or an inspiration. And this week it's a quote from the former US President Barack Obama, who said, if you're walking down the right path and you're willing to keep walking, eventually you'll make progress. Well, my guest this week is a bit of a star because he's my Camino brother. Everyone lucky enough to have been on the Camino at the same time as Brett Crosby raved about him. Brett and I walked a thousand kilometres together last year. We've known each other for more than 35 years because we went to school together. Brett's on the line from far north Queensland. Welcome, Pilgrim. Hi, mate. How are you? Good. Where are you? I'm in um, uh, just outside of Coranda on the Barren River. Yeah, near a place called Oak Forest, uh, North Queensland, northwest of Cairns. And you've had a lot of rain. Uh, we've had a fair bit of rain, yeah. I got flooded in for a couple of days the other week. Um, it was pretty ugly. It was looking like, we, well, there's an, actually a cyclone off the coast now, but it doesn't look like it's going to hassle us. So, you know, yeah, it's been a bit moist. It's, yeah. it, it's better than the alternative, drought, and we certainly get lots of that in Australia. I'm going to begin with a tough question. Why did you walk the Camino de Santiago? Well, I was having a beer in a pub with this mate of mine I hadn't seen for 30-something <laughs> years, and he said, I'm going on the Camino. And I looked at him for a good solid two, two and a half seconds and said, yeah, I'll go with you. And uh, and there it was. Um, and it was just that I'd, I'd come to that stage in my life where uh, I probably needed to do something that was um, going to take me out of my comfort zone, a little bit of dissonance in my life, if you like. And uh, it just seemed like a, a beautiful opportunity. Um, and I, you know, I hadn't seen this bloke for a long time. I didn't know that I'd be spending this part of 40 days with him. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, seemed like a good idea at the time, Dan. Yeah, it was a good idea at the time and still remains a good idea at the time now. So it's often said you begin your Camino when you leave your home. Indeed, you hadn't been overseas before. So what did you make no. of what did you make of that aspect of it? The first time overseas aspect of the journey. Um, that was probably the most trepidatious part. Uh, I didn't know how uh, things like um, getting a passport and um, making sure that I was in the right place and in the right queue, uh, lining up and going through customs and all that stuff. That was actually quite trepidatious, the thought of that anyway, to me. And uh, so, yeah, that was it. The, the idea of going overseas and, you know, going for a bit of a walk through somewhere else, that was actually quite appealing. But, um yeah, a bit daunting, the thought of getting there. And in hindsight, it's probably not that bad. But we did take a long time to get there. I mean, it took us oh, a long, man. long time to get to Lourdes. I think, well, we spent a night in Madrid, but less than 24 hours in Madrid. But it was a long, bloody long way, wasn't it? It was a long way, but it was interesting, you know? Oh, it was good. I mean, you know, sitting in uh, Madrid there that afternoon and trying to organise a uh, SIM card and... Uh, trying to work out how to order a cup of coffee without sounding like a dill. <laughs> and uh, um, feeling a bit jet-lagged and then having a few beers that night and then getting up, oh, no, some ridiculous hour and 
trying to get on a bus and not getting the bus and catching a taxi to the airport and just making it. And then sitting there for two and a half hours or something because we were actually early and and then getting to Lourdes and jumping on a train after a couple of hours again. Yeah, it was it was an adventure. Yeah. Great way to start the day. Yeah, yeah. And that's so just for the listeners, we we flew from Sydney to Abu Dhabi from Abu well, Brett flew from Cairns in far north Queensland to Sydney, met me in Sydney. We flew from Sydney to Abu Dhabi, from Abu Dhabi to Madrid, and then we got a Ryanair flight very early the following morning to Toulouse, and then the train from Toulouse to Lourdes to start our Camino. So, Brett, you're what's called an outside ed teacher. Now, people in other parts of the world wouldn't know what that is. So just explain what an outside ed teacher does and is. Well, outdoor ed's... It's more about um, learning in and about and for the environment, doing doing uh, adventure-based learning. Um, I guess we, we do a lot of canoeing um, and, and expeditioning and canoeing and abseiling and high ropes and stuff like that. Um, and looking at, at people's, I suppose the curriculum says it's personal and social capabilities and sustainability and when we mix that into a little program and the kids come and camp with us and and uh, off they go three or four days later hopefully um, feeling a bit of a difference about themselves and about the way they look at their world and and hopefully having a bit more of a respect for the environment they live in and that's around them I, I guess that's probably sums it up yeah and you're asking them or expecting them and hoping that they'll step outside their comfort zone a bit Oh, definitely. The magic only happens outside the comfort zone, as you and I well know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how did you end up in that field? How did you end up as an outdoor education teacher? Well, I was a primary teacher for a long time because I liked the idea of the holidays. <laughs> and, um, you know, 10 weeks holiday a year is pretty cool. But um, I, I also was only a three-year trained teacher and to get the, the best pay increments, I actually had to do some more study and while I was uh, teaching, I, I came across uh, a couple of courses in outdoor education and met some people who were teaching at that Griffith University at the time and thought, you know, this is uh, this is what I really like, you know. And so I went back and I uh, I did a year's study as a post-grad in outdoor education and then I was offered the opportunity to complete it as a... Um, as a uh, master's degree in outdoor ed, so I got my four-year training, and I also had this degree in in, uh, in something that I actually developed quite a passion for, and I, I actually love it. I, I love seeing um, the change that we can make in in a short time. It, it seemed a lot more powerful to me than than the classroom, and it took a long time to find uh, and for the job to become available, um, the, the one that I wanted. And uh, eventually it happened a few years ago. And, you know, here I am, Robert's your father's brother. There it is. Yeah. Well, did you do much research before you headed off on your first Camino? Um, well, it's interesting. When I was having a yarn with you and I said, yeah, I'll come with you, you said, uh, right, I research all about it. And I actually deliberately didn't. Um, and I... Yeah, I mean, there's things I wish that I'd, I'd known about, for sure, but I'm actually glad I didn't. I love the idea that it was a totally new experience, um, not only, you know, in, in a country that was totally alien um, and you know, 
different, I suppose, but more the idea that I hadn't then had expectations of what I was going to find and and, and feel and see. Um, and I actually, I'm quite glad I did it that way. Um, I do feel that, you know, at times I felt like I was a real Gumby and had no idea what I was doing. Um <laughs> for probably most of the six or seven weeks I was in Spain. But at the same time, it, it was an experience of all the senses. It was fantastic. Um, the sights, the smells, the, the way it felt, you know, uh, the different sunrise and sunset times and just the whole gamut of, of experience. And I'm quite glad I didn't have any preconceived expectations of what I was going to do and where I was going to go and have I booked this albergue and where am I going to go and eat dinner and I'm glad I didn't have those expectations. Besides, I was going with a guy who had done it before. It was all easy. <laughs> I don't know about that. But let me ask you then, you just mentioned there were a couple of things that you wish you'd known about. Do you remember what they are off the top of your head? Oh, you know, actually knowing exactly what to take with me, you know, I didn't yeah. have I didn't even start off with a sleeping, um, not even a sleeping bag or even a sleeping sheet, you know. Um, and then when I did buy one, it took two days, I put my foot through it and it was just a raggedy mess that I put over myself most of the time. Um, you know, I had no idea that albergues were more often than not very hot environments with bodies everywhere exuding this heat and smell and sound. Um, but, you know, I think I, I, I actually catered pretty well, um, just going on what I believe was a logical way of looking at it. Uh, I didn't have too many things that I didn't... didn't need too many things that I didn't bring, you know? Yeah, yeah. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, how hard did you find it, Brett communicating with friends and family back home while you were on the Camino? Uh, yeah, being a technological giant that I am, um, struggled a bit with uh, SIM cards and uh, accessibility and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, I spoke to my daughter a couple of times and her mum a couple of times, and, uh, and that was all cool. Um, but realistically, it kind of faded into the background, I guess, you know, I'm always, I was always thinking, of, you know, oh, gee, I wish Taylor was here, but um, I, I, and it's my daughter Taylor. Uh, and but I, at the same time, as the days wore on, I, I started to feel that disconnect from everything at home, uh, which is actually a beautiful thing. Um, no, I never really, I didn't look at any news. I had no idea what was going on in the world. Um, apparently, there was a hurricane somewhere. Um, but that's about all I, I knew. And, and yeah, I, I, I tried to send some postcards. I think I got a couple away early in the piece somewhere in the south of France. And that's about it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting you just mentioned that th there was a big news story that the, the, the massacre in Las Vegas occurred when we were, I think, in Oboid Rello. And really, we had no idea about it. Absolutely, absolutely no idea. No. no. Mm. Didn't know about it till four or five days later. Um, and I kind of felt bad about that. But there is that great disconnect, as you said. It's interesting. But did you feel 
you could have learned more Spanish? Would that have been more, would that have been beneficial to have learned a bit more of the language? Oh, I think that would be definitely beneficial. Um, you know, you, you do feel like a bit of an egg flip when you're trying to ask for something and you've got no idea how to, and then you struggle trying to pull up a bit of Google Translate and the connection drops out and you've got no idea. And sign language and looking really stupid, I think, in front of other people trying to get your message across. But isn't that a great experience? And, and feeling like a wombat, eh? Oh, I look at it with, with more fondness than um, with disdain. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. I could have learnt more Spanish. And and um, I'd like to... I'd actually like to learn the language. It's, it's a very interesting language. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, it, it's a very... Uh, they have ways of, of communicating as well. Um, and words that sort of we don't have the same words, the same meanings, um, which is which is really delightful. Um, yeah, I've said many times. There's no doubt. There's a very powerful energy on the Camino, Brett. How do you describe mm-hmm. that energy to people now that you've come home? Um, gee, I, I don't know if I could describe it. Then I don't think words would do it the justice. It's a feeling thing rather than a. Um, uh, are something you can describe adequately. Uh, you know, the, the energy is, is interesting. It's at once ancient and and revealing itself all very slowly or very quickly, depends on where and when you are. Um, there's definitely, there's, it's definitely quite powerful. And I guess some of that's got to do with possibly the history, you know, Millions and millions of feet walking the same path that you've walked has got to leave an imprint somewhere. And there are times when you feel it and then there are times when you think you're the only person in the world and you look forward and backwards and can't see a soul and you think you're the only... You wonder if you're actually on the right path. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, it's it's all a really great... Uh, opportunity to find something in yourself, I guess. Yeah, that that's right. It it is an opportunity to find something in yourself. Did you actively seek out time to walk alone? Is that something you did each day? Or because I know that you were part of my Camino family, there was eight of us, and we often walked together. But did you yourself think, oh, I'll just walk alone a couple of hours, you know, find some space? Oh, I thought it was my um, lack of deodorant or something. People would just leave me alone. And just, <laughs> uh, you know, it's um, yeah, definitely there. You know, some days you just don't feel like talking to anybody. Yeah. And 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 then and then when I uh, eventually found some music for my ears, I um, actually quite reveled in in the aloneness of it at times. And then it was also good just to walk next to someone, not necessarily talking or um, engaging in any way. Just the, the company is uh, is quite beneficial, I suppose. You know, keep your spirits up, and then, you know. And there was always these people walking in the same direction, well, mostly. Um, and um, everyone's on on a path, but everyone's separate together. Uh, you know, you know. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah. talked about it? Yeah, of course we did. Of course we did. Look, uh, let's talk some, some, some details because being an outdoor education person, you knew a thing or two that I didn't know and I should have known. How heavy was your pack? Uh, with water, I think it was about uh, 10 kilos. So, yeah, 10 kilos. That's um, with a couple of harps and a didge and I don't know. Yeah, water. Water's the big one. It was, yeah. I, I carried often two litres of water. Yeah, in a backup. In a camel pack. In a camel pack, yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. The way to go. And it was an Australian made backpack, yours, wasn't it? Hmm. Yeah, it was um, a friend of mine from a work colleague actually gave it to me. He said, oh, I'm not using this so about years. I looked at it and gone, that's perfect. That's the right size. Uh, it's, um, I don't know if I can. You know, it's, it was a wilderness equipment um, cam, uh, backpack, and I, I thought it was absolutely perfect. The right size could have had done with a couple more outside pockets to hold things like my, my credential and stuff, so that they wouldn't get soaked through with sweat. But that's another story. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, no, it was good. I, I like I liked the pack. It, it was comfortable. Um, it was a bit cumbersome having a bone strapped to the side of it. And well, that was my next question. You had a very special piece of cargo on board. Tell us about the didgeribone. Well, the didgeribone is a very interesting instrument. It's based on a on a didgeridoo, um, and uh, developed by a bloke called uh, Charlie McMahon, a fantastic didgeridoo player. <clears throat> and uh, it was given to me by a, a very good friend. That we both went to school with Adrian Dripper, and he uh, gave it to me. And when you said that you were uh, taking the guitar, I thought, well, I want to play this game too. And what can I do? So I had a, a, a didgeridoo bone, which is a um, uh, a didgeridoo that it's an adjustable, plays a variable tone, and um, in, in, in various keys. And I also had a couple of um, mouth organs or harmonicas. So I could play the game too. Yeah. So, so if you, people are listening at home, and I'm certain that they would have seen a didgeridoo before. It's a, a traditional Indigenous Australian musical instrument. Well, this is made from PVC pipe. One piece of pipe slides outside the other, and you play it much like a trombone. It's called a didgeribone, and you can raise That's or correct. lower the pitch. You can pl- you can actually play chords on it. You can you can play an A, you can play a C, you can play a D, and indeed we played it. Many times in many places for many people, and everybody was always delighted whenever you pulled it out and 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 entertain us. Well, I remember you telling me that you started the fishing pole. The, be- the what? The, the, that's right. There was a couple of chaps, British chaps, who were certain that you were carrying a fishing pole and wondered why on earth an Australian was carrying a fishing pole on the Camino. Yeah. I remember you telling me you start each day with a coffee at your local coffee shop there in North Queensland. It's a big part of your life. How did you find the coffee in Spain? Um, actually, not too bad. Uh, for the most part, it was fairly consistent. Uh, you knew what you were getting. Uh, and I knew that you know, if I ordered a cafe from Leche, it would probably be the same as the last town I was in, or very, very similar. You know, There's not much difference to it. Yeah, it was all right. Um, I still prefer the coffee back here, but, you know, <laughs> that's... That's just getting used to something, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
for the for our listeners, um, I don't drink a lot of coffee. Never have, but Brett loves his coffee. We host stop in coffee. And we were somewhere in the middle of France, and there was no coffee shop. Brett wasn't happy. <laughs> Remember that town? And I was saying to you, "There's no coffee shop, mate. There's no coffee shop here." You're going. There, there has to be. So, no, this doesn't have to be. We walked and walked and walked in search of coffee, but we never found it. It was a long day, wasn't it, Bingo? Oh, that one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was, there was that one uh, just outside of Ronson's Bay where we went to grab a coffee and all they had was a vending uh, machine. Yeah, 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 that's right. That, yeah. that, that's the town a lot of people walk to when they don't get into Ronson's Valleys, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I should yeah. know the name of that. So, so what about the food? Uh, and and did you did you first of all did you like the food? Secondly, did you get a sense of different foods as we travelled in different parts of Spain? Oh, definitely, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I quite liked. Oh, I mean, how was the first day of our Camino? We, we were walking just outside of Lourdes there and coming through this very pretty little town, tiny little place, and uh, decided, oh, you know, here looks like a really nice place for a sit down and have a cup of coffee and and they had these uh, chocolate eclairs that were baked there and I thought how how cliched is this sitting in this very quiet rural French village and we're having a coffee and a, and a chocolate eclair and look up and what comes past but a Peloton, absolutely <laughs> fantastic. I thought, yeah, boy, this is it. Right on. That was um, a great town, and that was great. Uh, I did have a coffee that day, I remember, because it was absolutely beautiful. And we we said we'd stop for 10 minutes. We were there for about an hour and a half because it was so beautiful, remember? Yeah, yeah, that's right. But, yeah, the food, I mean, I, I liked the food. It was really good. Um, I had my first paella in um, August in that very old courtyard there, but that was nothing compared to the to the beautiful one we had at um El Pajar de Ancina. Yeah. Where we where you were had that where you had your crook ankle and uh and we were sitting down there for quite a while and having a few beers and at about three in the afternoon the um the, the lovely um hostess there started cooking the paella in the barbecue out the back and the smell was just tantalizing and it was beautiful. Um, yeah, beautiful. And it was nice. I mean, the, the, um, tortilla de patata was, it was good. Um, I think I prefer it a bit warmer than, than cold, but you know, it was, it was a fairly nice one. And then as you get through into, uh, the latter part of the, uh, Camino that, what was that? Uh, yeah, um, what was that beautiful Empanada? Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, Empanada. Yeah, yeah, and they were interesting as well. Yeah, so yeah, different tastes, different flavors. Yeah, I'm, I don't know. I think I, at the end of about thirty-five days, I was starting to get sick of Bocadillo. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what about the wine? But, uh, what? How did you rate the wine? Oh, in La Rioja? Yeah, yeah that Tempranillo was really nice. I like that. Um, uh, you know, you'd get a nice one and you'd get one that goes, you know, that doesn't do it for me. But it was cheap and it was plentiful and, yeah, it was good. I enjoyed it. Yeah, so did I. Very much so.
It's often the, the company, I think, that you're with. Now, you've been home a while. We've been home about, well, just over six months. Can you describe how you found the difference between walking in France and walking in Spain? Um, I think it's a different vibe. In France, you know, we're pretty much on our own. Um, we met uh, Messi, the, the young yeah. fellow from uh, Germany. Germany yeah. and, um, where was that? In um, Arudi. Um, and, you know, I ended up walking with him for a day and a half, which was interesting. Nice guy, a bit, bit different. But, um, but mostly, you know... France was very quiet, and you felt very remote in a, in a, in a way. Uh, and Spain, you know, as you got closer to Santiago, it seemed to get busier. Well, actually, that's not quite true. In, from Pamplona or Roncesvalles on, very, very busy. Lots and lots of people. And, uh, and then it seemed to taper off, you know, through the Meseta, and then the Galicia, and then it picked up again and, you know, went into overdrive the number of people from um, Saria uh, onwards. Um, you know, Spain's just an amazing place, I, I guess. There's, there's, a, there's an, an interesting vibe there. The beautiful, beautiful old towns and even the old parts of the cities that we went through. You go through this a city like uh, Burgos and you go through the industrial area and, and all of a sudden you, you come through the gates of the old city and you're in this ancient kind of place that's just teeming with people till about two o'clock in the afternoon and everything dies. And then you go, well, what happened here? And you go and sit down and have a beer for a, for a couple of hours and then come back and at about eight o'clock at night, it's just going ballistic. Um, and then people would, in some places, party all the way on till about four in the morning. Yeah, yeah. And as we walk out of town, we see the remnants of what they did. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, that was amazing. The, the walk along yeah. the French side of the Pyrenees was beautiful, wasn't it? Amazing. Just such gorgeous country. Yeah. Um, just, and I, and I guess that was the, the beauty of, you know, not really running into anybody on the walk, you know, and, and very rarely pass someone. Occasionally, I can remember passing an old woman coming down this track going, oh, she, yeah, well, okay, hello, hello, what's up, um, and, and saying day. And, you know, very rarely would you see someone come into this town. It was a bit warmer at that time of the year too. There was a couple of days were quite warm there, and, and then it started to rain, and that was pretty messy up in the hills there. And um, but absolutely phenomenal country. Interesting. It was almost like something out of Lord of the Rings, wasn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. South of France and Galicia, yeah. Very similar in a way in in in, the, in their visual aspect. Very green and lush, rolling hills and just beautiful. Yeah. Farms everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So so I, I think w that we'd agree. Um, without putting words in your mouth, that if somebody's listening and they're wanting a bit of a different experience, then tagging on Lourdes to St. Jean-Peter-Port is not a bad idea. It's about a week's walk. It's not particularly challenging. A couple of pretty hefty mountains and pretty long days. But really, by and large, it's a beautiful walk, isn't it? It's really worth doing. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, definitely. Yeah, follow the, uh, what was it, the red and white stripes. Yeah, the red and the white stripes. Don't go there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's not a very, you can tell, it's not a highly walked part of the, the Camino. Um, and, 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 oh, fantastic. I, I, I'm glad I did it. Yeah. I, I really am. Yeah. Have you been able to reflect and decide a favourite part? Of the Camino, from Lourdes right right through to Santiago, a favourite place. If I could pick you up and drop you at a particular place, where would it be? Uh, I'd probably um, uh, Galicia. Yeah, yeah, Galicia. Uh, you know, I'd probably spend a couple of days there at Via Franca, and uh, and go silly from there. Lovely country. Yeah. Um, Challenging. Over, uh, it's not easy. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know, at that time, at that stage of our walk, you know, we we were match fit by then, and uh, you know, apart from a little bit of food poisoning in Astoria, um, it was it was relatively um, uh, well. I won't say easy, but it, it was it was comfortable walking. You know. Yeah. Well, For the most part. Yeah, yeah, and certainly you can take your time as much as you want, can't you? You can stop whenever you want. There's no no mm-hmm. deadline, really. There was certainly no shortage of beds. I think Nahara, uh, you know, we got in early, but maybe maybe there was a, three or four beds left at the end of the night. But still, you know, yeah. that was a, I think there was 90 of us in there that night. But we certainly saw nobody. The only time I knew, know of either of us missing out on a bed was, was Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port because you got there quite, quite late in the day, <laughs> hey? Yeah, I got there late in the day, and this bloke said, "I've got a beer for you." Oh, yeah, right. That sounds like a good plan. <laughs> yeah, I think I had, so instead of getting a bed, you went and got a beer. Yeah. <laughs> and I got Here to we sleep go. On a, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I got to sleep on a uh, a nice, comfortable um, gym floor in, in the middle of uh, downtown Saint Jean, and then. Uh, I probably only got about two hours sleep that night. Yeah, so that's an interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting story because Brett had walked a very long day. I had actually we'd spent a night apart, and I had arrived in Saint John uh, about one o'clock in the afternoon. Got a bed in the Municipal Albergue, no problems. Uh, Brett didn't wander until about four thirty in the afternoon, and while there were, oh, I think it was closer to six thirty. Actually, was then? it okay? Six thirty, right? So instead of going straight away to get a bed, he instead chose to have a beer. And there were no beds. So the, the, what the pilgrim's office did that night, because it was a particularly busy day, uh, they said, well, if you haven't got a bed, come back at 9.30, I think, was it, Brett? 9.30? Yeah, yeah 9:30. Go, back, go back to the pilgrim's office again at 9.30, and they would sort something out. And in this instance, there was how many of you? About a dozen. Oh, no, I think there was more than that. There's probably about 25 or right. 30 of us, actually, in the end, yeah. Right, and so they bust- kept on yeah. filtering in till about midnight. People yeah. were still coming in. So they, were, so they were taken down to a local gymnasium, put on gym mats, and given somewhere to sleep. So I suppose Yeah, that- not really gym mats, Dan. Just put on the floor, really, actually. Really? Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought you were on gym mats. Well, the thing is, the, 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 the moral of the story is, You'll at least get a roof over your head. You may not get a bed. Got a roof. <laughs> you might, you'll get a roof over your head. Let me ask yeah. you something, Bingo. What's the one thing you wished you'd packed? 
Um, probably a, a nice lightweight but very warm jumper. Right. Um, the, yeah, because I can remember. Actually, it was interesting. Saint John was the first night I actually felt really um, started to get cold, um, and then uh, as we headed through La Rioja. Oh, you know, we were getting that time of year where the temperature was starting to change a little bit. And, uh, yeah, by the time we were in La Grania, you know, you and I both know we were freezing at times. Yeah, yeah. And uh, had to go and get a jumper after all. It wasn't such a big deal, but, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, just for the record, that's uh, the first week of September. Um, So we arrived in... Uh, in Madrid on the 26th, I think, of August, wasn't it, Bingo? And then, yeah, so we walked yeah. for, walked for seven days through France and then, so, yeah, into the second week of of of, um, of September and it was cold. Uh, there were some nights there where you couldn't get warm or didn't have enough clothes to actually physically get warm. So just put that in your little black book. Um, what could you have, yeah. What could you have left behind, do you think? Um, oh, that's an interesting one. Uh, you didn't take much. Uh, there wasn't much to leave behind. No, there wasn't really a lot to leave behind. I mean, you know, everything got recycled and used uh, quite often. Um, yeah, I don't know whether I'd leave anything behind, to be honest. I'd, I'd probably take it all again. Yeah. Have you continued walking now that you've, you're back home? Oh, uh, circumstances have precluded me for a while. I'm in a, I, I go to work pretty early and I come home pretty late, and so I don't really have a lot of time during the week to walk. Um, I, I was for a while. I haven't lately. Um, and all those beautiful kilos that shed from me on the walk are starting to find their way back home now. Um, and that's all right. Uh, yeah. If, if circumstances were different, yeah, I'd probably walk every day, but I, I just I just don't have that um, time at the moment, yeah, especially yeah. during the working week, yeah. Any plans to go back? Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I've got an, an, a vague plan of heading back uh, around about the same time of year next year. So possibly uh, end of August again. Uh, I think it's a good time of year. I, I don't think it was... It wasn't too hot. And apart from, you know, walking out of Burgos at three degrees Celsius in the morning, it wasn't that cold. Although it did start to change a little bit as we got... Uh, as, the, as the season changed. But, yeah, that, that's some time of year. And, uh, yeah, 2019. Uh, I've, I've got a plan to go back. And will you, will you walk the Camino Frances again? I'm not 100% sure about that. I've, I've, I've got a predilection to actually walk the Del Norte. I, I, yeah, I, I think I'd like to go up, up the coastway. Are you able to say now if it had an impact on your life? Um, I think everything we do has an impact on our life. I guess the question is, did it have a positive impact on my life? And the answer to that would be yes, definitely. I, you know, I think um, I learned a few things about myself. I'm not 100% sure what they are, but the deep feeling is that there's a change. 
Um, and it certainly opened my eyes in the de- and uh, opened the desire to do it again and do more of that sort of thing. Um, I guess a lot of that's to do with the people that um, you and I both met, mostly, uh, but definitely the people you meet on, on, a, on a Camino. It's just there's this camaraderie of spirit that's uh, very unique. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I value that and treasure it. The, the, the people that I met and, and those that I walked with um, and hang out with, fantastic, wonderful, wonderful people. Uh, and I'm a better man for knowing those people, for sure. What's the most important thing about being a pilgrim? Having an open heart, I think. Being able to accept, being able to um, feel and experience. Um, yeah, just being open. That's why you are such a good pilgrim. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, mate. I mean it. <laughs> I really do. And thanks very much for sharing your, your afternoon with me. Absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for your honesty, no sharing your story and your journey. Cheers, brother. Appreciate it, man. My pleasure, Dan. And we'll, we'll talk again and we'll catch up again sometime soon. And all the best for the next couple of weeks, my friend. I really appreciate um, it. I wish I could... I wish I could be there. I really do. I'd love to have one more of Pablo's wines. I will. And I'll have one for you. How about that? Fantastic. <laughs> Thanks, Bingo. Hey, Thanks, Brett. No worries, man. All the best, Dave. Juan Camino. Juan Camino. The Australian pilgrim Brett Crosby there. The former US President Barack Obama said, if you're walking down the right path and you're willing to keep walking... Eventually, you'll make progress. That's all we have time for this week. I'm Dan Mullins. Another Camino story awaits. Another Camino podcast next week, Tuesday night, Sydney time, Tuesday morning in the Northern Hemisphere. Until then, I'm Dan Mullins. I'll be back again next week with more. Until then, buen Camino. Camino.